0: Welcome into the Talking Tide podcast on the Pigskin Podcast Network. I'm Chase Goodbread, sports columnist with the Tuscaloosa News and co-host of Crimson Cover Television on WVUA 23. I'm joined by Travis Ryer, the senior analyst at bamaonline.com. The Talking Tide podcast available to you at Apple Podcasts and wherever you prefer to get your podcasts. Uh, and as well you can catch us live on Facebook or YouTube. The Talking Tide Twitter feed is talking underscore Tide. You can catch links to all of our podcasts right there. Uh, and of course, we quickly want to thank a couple of sponsors, Peter Brook, Chocolatier of Tuscaloosa, and DraftKings. And with that, uh, we commence with a midweek edition of the Talking Tide podcast. We just podcasted this past Sunday. Uh, however, uh, it was definitely time to reconvene with some big news coming out in the Darius Miles capital murder case, Travis, uh, with a hearing that went down on Tuesday in Tuscaloosa, uh, at which some revelations uh, previously unknown uh, were disclosed uh, via uh, Tuscaloosa Violent Crimes Unit Detective Brandon Culpepper, Uh, And, of course, we'll touch a little bit on Alabama's road win at South Carolina as well. Austin Armstrong uh, quickly in and out at Alabama. We'll touch on that briefly before we get out of here as well. But, Travis, first, uh, some thoughts on this Darius Miles situation, which now publicly involves star freshman Brandon Miller and, as well, star – freshman point guard Jaden Bradley, Uh, Culpepper, the police detective who was on the stand in the hearing, basically a probable cause hearing to determine whether or not the prosecution has the goods to send the case to the grand jury. That's kind of the groundwork of what they were doing there. Uh, And the testimony uh, from Culpepper was that Brandon Miller received a text from Darius Miles in advance of the shooting to bring the gun to the scene. Of course, it was uh, a, a firearm that was legally owned by Miles, uh, but not a good look, certainly, for Brandon Miller. A little bit of news has come out since then as far as um, the, the fact that Miller was apparently already on his way to pick up Miles when he received that text, uh, but at any rate, not what Alabama wanted. And, you know, and again, you go back to uh, Jamia Harris, the, the mother who passed away in this situation, that's where the tragedy lies. Uh, but from a basketball standpoint, Travis, uh, not a good situation for Nate Oates, uh, who we also have to talk about because he handled a news conference about as poorly as it could have been handled, frankly, on Tuesday.
1: Yeah, it was uh, a surreal afternoon. Uh, on Tuesday in a lot of ways, um, not nearly as surreal as the, the tragic night and early morning hours of that Sunday, uh, a month ago or so. Certainly when you talk about the needless passing of a young woman, a young mother in Jamia Harris, and I'm going to go ahead and tell you, I have no background in legal issues like this. So I'm not even going to attempt to put on my, uh, My lawyer hat. No, I don't have that. I don't have one of those. So in all seriousness, I I, I guess my approach to all this uh, would would be to take time to allow things to play out. I know it's very simple in a situation like Tuesdays where all of this information is pouring out in a proceeding not to get caught up and start the hot takes just rolling out one after another. Uh, but I think that what we heard from Brandon's representation on Wednesday was a prime example of why we shouldn't do that on Tuesday, and especially people like myself who don't have don't have the legs in legal issues to run that race at all. Uh, that doesn't stop people. I understand it, um, but you know, at the end of the day, uh, the, the the heaviness the situation for me anyway, resurfaced just with the tragic passing of Jamia Harris. That for me is enough. I don't really need to talk about any more of it. I understand there's a very important legal process that needs to unfold that will help her family, hopefully, uh, when we get to the end of all this, but it's going to be a long road. And we just came out of the blocks on Tuesday, really. And In asking people who do have a background that far exceeds mine on situations like this, what I was told was, as you said, that was a hearing to determine probable cause. So everything that was gonna come out on Tuesday was going to be in an effort to establish probable cause of capital murder charges against these two individuals. And as a part of that extenuating factors Individuals that were on the scene that uh, may have been involved some way or another with one or both of these guys on that night uh, were going to come to the surface as well. But we were never going to have both sides of this scene. You know, we were never going to have the side of it from Brandon Miller on Tuesday. Although you might argue that that should have been ready. What we did get on Wednesday, again, I'm not. I, I don't know if it could have been, but. My first reaction was, well, where was this statement yesterday when the snowball just went completely exploded out of control? I mean, 24 hours in the news cycle these days with a situation like this, which is very deserving of the coverage it's getting. Very deserving. Um, that's like two weeks of a head start on a situation for a guy like Brandon Miller and 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 and, and some other things involved here. So Again, I don't have the, I don't have the depth to go deep, deep on this situation legally, um, but as much as anything, yeah, I, I thought Nate certainly, and he addressed it, readdressed it shortly thereafter his initial comments that he certainly could have handled that situation um, better. I don't, I don't think there's there's any doubt about that, and um, you know, I think for Nate. It, it, it could have been tough in that he, he wasn't sure what was coming, when it was coming, from where it was coming on Tuesday, because it was coming. It almost seemed to coincide throughout the afternoon in some ways. Um, but even with that, I think your awareness moving forward has to be, first and foremost, any question about Brandon Miller or the situation in general, you need to start with the utmost respect for Jamea Harris. And her family—that's where you've got to start any statement, and and, it, and it's because it should be that way. And, and I think Nate feels that way about the situation, genuinely. Um, but it, it's it, it's a it's a tinderbox in a lot of ways. When you start, you're asked specifically about one of your players, but in connection to a situation like this, you got to start. You almost have to start at point A all over again with the situation and then work your way from there to the secondary level of Brandon Miller's availability on the basketball court or anything else like that.
0: Yeah. A couple of thoughts, one on Oates, another one on Miller starting, starting with Oates. Uh, I think he actually did uh, bring up Jamea Harris right at the top of the news yeah. conference. When, when, when the, when the case came up, the issue is this, he walked, with with UA clearly knowing that that hearing was going on, he walked into a news conference uh, after there had already been following a basketball practice after there had already been some reporting to come out on the hearing, even though I think uh, just so we're clear on the timeline here, the hearing started at nine in the morning, central time. This press conference was at 1130. I'm not sure the hearing was even completely finished when he walked into the room, but it had been reported on. There were early
1: reports.
0: Um, And that
1: that bell's got to be rung. If it wasn't, it it has to be, you know, that goes back. He had not been briefed. That goes.
0: (laughs) And he he, had, I I, I don't know.
1: That goes on to media relations. I I think it goes on to the legal counsel for the university of Alabama. It didn't go on the poor. Sports information department person individually. I mean, if you know this is transpiring as he's walking up to the podium for a basketball PC, uh, right. and there are details about the star player of the basketball team and his proximity, at least reschedule the, the press conference. Just, yeah, can, whatever
0: it takes. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah.
1: obviously, obviously, this is a much more serious issue, and we're going to let it take precedent. And then at a, at a later time or tomorrow or whenever, right? We'll, yeah, we'll, we'll be here.
0: Yeah. So, anyway, with, with that as the backdrop, he, he definitely fumbled on the Miller question and uh, uh, he said wrong spot at the wrong time for Miller, which was about the baddest thing as he could have said at the time and for what had come out at the time. Uh, He clarified his comments a little bit later that evening after they had gotten to Columbia, I think, if if I'm not mistaken. Um, But uh, at any rate, the Miller point that that I think is important, too, is police. He's not charged with a crime and police have not been able to establish any intent or knowledge of intent on his part. And, And I was careful in what I wrote that that hadn't been established you don't assume what Miller knew. You don't assume necessarily uh, what he knew of Miles intentions either, because we just don't know. Uh, at the same time, however, at the very least, it can be said that, that a poor desi- a couple of poor decisions were made on his part. Um, and certainly uh, he, he did receive a You know, he did get a text at some point calling for a gun at, at one in the morning on a Saturday night on the Strip. Um, Obviously, common sense is is, got to, you you would hope, would take over there. Uh, But regardless of all that, um, at this point, UA has decided he will remain eligible to play basketball. Uh, There hadn't been a criminal charge, although to me, and I think this is always important, Travis, team discipline and school discipline, and criminal charges don't have to go together, right? Yeah. You you can you can have some team discipline without a criminal charge. Um, so I don't buy the narrative that if he's not charged, he can't be suspended. That's bull crap. Now uh, that doesn't necessarily mean that that he has or has not met a certain threshold of whatever the team policies may or may not be. Uh, but to me, uh, I, I I'm a little dismissive of of people who. Say well, we charges there. There can't be any team discipline either. Yeah, there can be, um, at least potentially. Um, so those are those are just a couple of yeah. thoughts on this thing.
1: No, I don't. I don't think team discipline is uh, connected to you know criminal charges or or things like that. But I do think Nate Oates again. I'm going to guess has far more information and more of the definitive information than just items that we've received. And not just Nate Oates. When something like this happens, it goes to Greg Byrne. It goes to maybe Stuart Bell. Um, There can be institutional consequences that go beyond the team. So that's where I have a hard time believing that and thinking that it has reached that le- those levels beyond Nato's, that this many people are willing to put themselves and the athletic department, the university, in some ways, in general, on the line for one player, and he's an icon. He's a potentially iconic player, a one and done, but still a very, very um, gifted player. We saw it again on Wednesday night in Columbia, South Carolina. Uh, he's an all-timer already, no matter what happens the rest of this season. Um, but there, that's 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 where I stopped short a little bit because we talked about this a little bit before the podcast. Yes, you know, the the rebuttal from his representation uh on Wednesday was that uh, you know he received a text message after he was already on the way and yeah, we can kind of look at that with the cynical eye. I'm as cynical as any person probably you'll ever meet. No, but I also no. I also know I also know in this day and age with technology, um, it, it it'll it'll tell on you or it will uh, absolve you. And between cameras everywhere these days, between timestamps on text where you were based on this camera that's time-stamped, and comparison to the time stamp on the text that you got, when you got it, what it said, there are plenty of ways to verify accounts. We won't call them alibis, but accounts. Um, then thankfully we ever had back in our day. That's right. That's right. No question about it. All right. More to come,
0: certainly on the Darius Miles capital murder case uh, as these uh, hearings and and, uh, court dates continue. Uh, We'll keep following the news on Talking Tide. Travis, we'll move now uh, to the aforementioned basketball game that was played in Columbia. The Crimson Tide takes a narrow overtime road win over the Gamecocks, the final score. 78-66, to and Travis, it was a career-best game uh, for Miller. uh, Fire in his eyes, definitely coming out of the gate, I thought, uh, and uh, no surprise why. 41 points, a career high for him. He hits 14 field goals for the night, seven of eight from the free-throw line, a left-handed layup at the end of regulation in traffic to force overtime, another left-handed layup for the game-winner near the end of overtime, uh, ends up with 41 on a night when Alabama only had one other double-figure scorer in the form of Charles Bediaco, who had 10.
1: Yeah, there were two guys that you felt like from start to finish that were real presences for Alabama in the game. Obviously, Brandon Miller with a night for all time. Um, You said at 14 field goals, he goes for for 41 in the game, I give Charles Bediaco a lot of credit to uh, 10 points, nine rebounds, played extended minutes, 33 minutes. Miller played 43 of 45 minutes. Um, and it, it took every bit of it because it just didn't get enough help. You know, Sears struggled throughout the game. Uh, Bradley did some decent things at the bucket, but finished two of nine from the field. Um You know, had a big free throw miss. I think it was maybe late in regulation. Uh, Just didn't get it from the bench either, man. I mean, we've talked about this bench. Bench scoring for Alabama in the game, what, five points? Yeah, got outscored nine to five. So Rylan Griffin, Javon Quinterly, uh, Namari Burnett, it wasn't happening for those guys on Wednesday night either. No,
0: no, it wasn't they got Nick Pringle out there early in the game. Not a big game for Pringle either coming off that monster game he had uh, over the weekend against the Georgia Bulldogs. So it was the Brandon Miller show. He ends up with more than half of Alabama's points uh, hit him hit three pointers from pretty much every point around the, the three-point line. A, uh, a feisty effort for sure from South Carolina. What about the half quarter at the uh, at the halftime buzzer Travis? 45 uh, footer to give the Gamecocks a little bit more of a lead going into the break. Uh, but Alabama dominated on the boards. I think they out rebounded South Carolina like 40 to, to 27, and, and, and that made a big difference.
1: Plus six on the offensive glass, too. Outscored uh, South Carolina by seven, where second chance points are concerned. Um, yeah, and we can talk about Alabama and some of the shortcomings really on both ends of the four on Wednesday night, but it, it it was one of those nights for South Carolina, too, in terms of shot making. We had talked a little bit about Gigi Jackson, the outstanding freshman for South Carolina, and he did go for 19. But Michi Johnson, I thought he was able to get the basketball where he wanted it too often, too easily uh, for South Carolina. Jacoby Wright had a big night for the Gamecocks. Hell, they had a chance to win it. At the end of overtime, with that heave that went off the the rim there, so yeah. uh, a lot of a lot of tough tough shots fell for the Gamecocks, including that I guess what forty seven footer there at the end of the first half. At the end of the first half, they knocked one
0: uh, knocked one home from the logo, and and yeah, they hit some tough twos, some contested twos in the paint that just kind of rattled home. Uh it, it was, uh it was uh an impressive effort from south carolina for sure alabama comes away with the win uh, they improved to 24 and 4 on the regular season uh, 14 and 1 in conference play uh, and now 9 and 2 with the road record still undefeated at home at 13 and 0 as they now turn to arkansas travis that'll be a home game on saturday a 1 p.m tip off uh as they look to uh maintain an an unbeaten record at home
1: they do and i don't think it gets any easier i know that some of these home performances have been just absolute blowouts but arkansas isn't georgia arkansas isn't vanderbilt arkansas isn't lsu who by the way beat vanderbilt wednesday night i think lsu had lost like 17 straight or something crazy and finally beat vanderbilt on uh wednesday night so No, um, I know that Auburn had some struggles with the worst team in the league or along with LSU, one of the worst, maybe South Carolina in that mix too. In Ole Miss on Wednesday night, I don't see that being an easy game midweek next week. And then you culminate things with the Texas A&M team right now that is very much in a lockstep with what Buzz Williams likes to do. That starts on the defensive end where they make you extremely uncomfortable Alabama has handled that okay at times, like at Houston. Alabama has not handled that so well at times, like at Tennessee. So, no, this is the stretch, you know. Um, but I'll say this, and, and, and I know some Alabama fans look at this win at South Carolina and with a doubtful eye for the the upcoming. But, look, you weren't going to win the regular season SEC title on Wednesday night in Columbia, but you damn sure could have lost it if you lose that game. And so you take the win, you come back home, and uh, you try to just hold home serve, try to finish off an unbeaten run this season at Coleman Coliseum. And then you load up, you go to College Station and see if the Aggies are still a game back. And let's see who the number one seed in the SEC
0: tournament is going to be. That's right. Fittingly, I guess, the rival Auburn Tigers will have the last shot to hang an L in Coleman on Alabama. Uh, That'll be your your midweek or next week. So, uh, plenty of action to come. Three more games on the regular season before Alabama embarks upon uh, the SEC tournament, which, of course, will be held once again uh, in uh, Bridgestone Arena up in Nashville. The Talking Tide podcast on the Pigskin Podcast Network uh, moves on. The Twitter feed, Talking underscore Tide. Give us a follow and a like on YouTube as well. Going to thank a couple of sponsors really quickly. We're going to start uh, by telling you all about DraftKings. NBA fans, time to bring the action to the palm of your hand with the DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. This week, new customers can bet $5 and win $200 in free bets instantly. Go to the DraftKings Sportsbook app today. Opt in and place the same game parlay on any NBA game. And if it doesn't hit, you'll get a free bet back. So download the app now and sign up with the promo code TPPN. New customers, again, can bet $5 on an NBA game and get $200 in free bets instantly only at the DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. Once again, that's promo code TPPN. Minimum
1: age and eligibility restrictions apply. Going to tell you about Peterbrook Brook Chocolatier out there at 1530. McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hills section up Tuscaloosa. You know, maybe you didn't get enough of those chocolate strawberries, uh, Valentine's Week. Well, they got them ready for you each and every day. It's not just a Valentine's Day thing at Peterbrook chocolates here. Those hand-dipped strawberries are dipped daily at Peterbrook. Also, you're gonna find an outstanding assortment of individual pieces, high-end chocolate, the good stuff. They've got it for you. At Peterbrook Chocolatier. Traditional favorites, too. If you like those chocolate covered almonds, and goodness knows I do to a fault almost, not not entirely, but almost. They've got those mm-hmm. for you the loose bin items there uh, in the middle of the store at Peterbrook Chocolatier. As soon as you open the door at Peterbrook Chocolatier of Tuscaloosa, that smell, that welcoming chocolatey smell is going to just embrace you like only a mother can. You're going to find all those great things at Peterbrook Brook Chocolatier, 1530 McFarland Boulevard North in the Indian Hill section of Tuscaloosa. That's the kind of spot you get good bread when you keep me up too late, by the way. <laughs> there you go. Uh, we are running late here
0: on this edition of Talking Tide. We're going to get out of here really quickly. But before we do, Travis, we're going to touch quickly uh, on the news about Austin Armstrong uh, who was Officially hired by Alabama, Officially, uh, official notice from the school on the hire only nine days ago. Uh, and, of course, reports that he was going to be Alabama's next inside linebackers coach began to surface, I want to say, four or five weeks ago maybe, Travis. But uh, regardless, it looks like Austin Armstrong, who had come from Southern Miss, uh, defensive coordinator there, uh, moving on. Without coaching a game at Alabama, looks like he's going to be the D.C. for the Florida Gators. And so here Nick Saban sits after getting uh, what he thought was going to be a staff completed after making that final hire of Kevin Steele as his D.C. Uh, now he's got to turn around and uh, make another hire. And I'm sure he's going to be looking to do it in short order, Travis, with spring practice around the corner.
1: Yeah, just uh... – just put ha-ha Clinton Dix on the field. You know, you just brought him in as a support guy. Put him in the secondary with T-Rob, steel coaches the inside linebackers, along with serving as the D.C., you're good to go. No, I don't think that's really what's going to happen, but it is amazing. You know, 29 years old, and and you talk to people, and they will absolutely tell you um, that Armstrong is a, a, a rising star. I can't miss type of future Uh, head coach perhaps uh, at the power five level, the Southeastern conference. Um, But we're seeing guys get promotions for getting promotions. It feels like, and I understand going from a defensive coordinator at Southern Miss to maybe a positional job at Alabama. Some people may not be able to see that, but it is, you know, Mm -hmm. you're as the inside linebackers coach at Alabama, that's a step up from the DC at Southern Miss. And then he gets another promotion. Um, and, And, some might think of that as sort of just off the cuff, but there's there's history there with uh, Billy Napier and Austin Armstrong going back to Louisiana Lafayette. So, hey, good for him, man. 29 years old, flying up the ladder. Uh, look at Tommy Reese, new offensive coordinator, 30 years old. And We missed our calling good, Brett. I guess been, we uh, did. We should have been college football coaches. I guess we
0: did. But, yeah, not – not the first time Nick Saban has had to deal with an assistant coach coming and going in just a few weeks, um, and probably won't be the last. But uh, definitely not a situation for Alabama anyway uh, that that you want to see. Uh, but Armstrong goes on to Florida. We'll see how he does there. They could definitely use um, they could definitely use a leader for that defense, which has kind of been up and down. I think over over recent years. Yeah, uh, but Armstrong, uh, Armstrong, moving on. Nick Saban's got one more hire to make. I think we'll see it pretty quickly. I think when you and I, uh, maybe not our next podcast, but I'll predict by the one after that, uh, yes. we'll probably have a coach uh, in place. So that's going to do it for this edition of the Talking Tide podcast. Thanks to our viewers and listeners. Uh, be sure to tune in on Sunday. Travis and I will be back once again. Uh, to recap Alabama's uh, home game against the Arkansas Razorbacks. Until then, we'll see you next time on Talking Tide.